Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Your official station to talk Yankees. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. Good song, Paulie. They play the song in Varsity Blues. I watch Varsity Blues before every high school football game I ever played. That's a fact. I wouldn't make that up or say that on air. Joining us right now, shifting the conversation to football, Covering the Jets and Giants for SNY. Fellow Monmouth University alum, Connor Hughes. What's up, brother? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I like this. The Monmouth-Monmouth connection. It's uh, it's, it's a uh, good day to be a Hawk. Go Hawks. I mean, I just was watching. They had on SNY the uh, Rhode Island-Monmouth game that Monmouth lost in seven overtimes. Unreal. Unreal. They got a pretty good rushing attack this year, though, man. I mean, they have they have better players than they've ever had, in my opinion, better uniforms, but you know what they're lacking? And I actually wrote an article uh, my last year at Monmouth when I wasn't playing football, and it was called Home Field Disadvantage. They have a home field disadvantage. They've made that <laughs> stadium better, but you know what? The visiting side, where the visiting players are, there's no fans behind them. No one heckling them, no one distracting yeah. them. They're over there, and they can do whatever they want, and uh, I think the field hockey field is behind them, so... Mama's got to close that in. They've got, they've got to make it at least like a half bowl. Yeah, there's some work to do. There's some work to do. Yeah, and it's tough. They, they're never going to be able to put lights on that field because the community doesn't want it. Um, what year did you graduate from Mammoth? 2015, man. That was my uh, graduating year. Okay, I'm 2011, so we were nowhere near each other for the most part. I was probably, we, missed it. we missed it a little bit. Yeah, I was, I was out of there before you got into there. and I was there, but... I wasn't really there. <laughs> I was around, but I wasn't really around. All right, let's get into the conversation that everybody else wants to talk about. Let's start with the Jets. Uh, I favor the Jets locally. I'm not a fan of the Jets or the Giants, but if I had to pick one, it'd be the Jets. I love what they're doing this year. The defense, uh, the offense is really now the focus with Zach Wilson back. He's winning games, but really it's because of the run attack, and they take a huge hit losing Brees Hall, Brees Lightning. He rips off that long run. And gets everyone fired up, and then not long after that, he exits the game. But then they immediately make this move for James Robinson, and I hope he's ready to go. What are you thinking about the Jets now losing one of the you know best running backs in the game, or at least one of the best rookie running backs we've seen? Like he was looking like an impact player, and now they have to rely on Michael Carter and James Robinson. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think that the the one thing I would I would try to to temper the expectations a little bit for for some Jet fans because James James Robinson's a good player, he's not Brees Hall, 
And I don't think there's too many people in the NFL that are Brees Hall, which is kind of crazy to talk about uh, when, when you consider the fact that Hall was, what, through through seven games of his NFL career. I mean, this is a guy who was as good as advertised, maybe even a little bit more than the Jets expected in terms of how quickly he became acclimated to the NFL game, his his home run potential, you know, the, the ability to really take any handoff get to the second level and beyond. I mean, with, with Zach Wilson dealing with some of the struggles that he's been dealing with this year, the Jets were able to rely on Brees Hall and to some extent Mike Carter, but really Brees Hall to find success, continue that success, and, and have an offense that works uh, despite the fact they really haven't been able to get too much out of their passing game. You can't replace that just, you know, by a simple trade. You know, it's just, it's not something you can replace. But what you can try to do which is what the Jets have done here is lessen the blow. So uh, in James Robinson, they're getting a guy who's a tremendous one-cut runner. He's a downhill runner. He's physical. He's been incredibly productive throughout his career. Uh, I think it's a 4.5-yard-per-carry average. And, and when you take him and you put him into a backfield that also includes Ty Johnson and Michael Carter, what you kind of have the Jets in 2020, 2022 doing is what the 49ers did in 2019, which obviously is where uh, Mike LaFleur kind of pulls his offense from because that was where they had Breida, they had Coleman, they had Moser. They had a three-headed rushing attack that took them uh, obviously deep into the playoffs and they reached the Super Bowl. So uh, the Jets don't really have that number one bulldog running back anymore, but they're going to try to come at teams now with a uh, true running back by committee. And they're going to face Bill Belichick and the Patriots this weekend. And Belichick's always known for having a good defense. And now he's coming off a loss and a little bit of a quarterback controversy with the benching of Mac Jones in his first game back, only playing three series. Then they go right back to Bailey Zappi, who's actually been pretty decent in his first couple showings. I feel like this is a game that the Jets can win. What are you thinking about this weekend with them hosting the Patriots and the Patriots kind of reeling right now, I feel like Jets fans are looking for revenge. Revenge, yeah. And honestly, it's it's not, though, for the reason that I think a lot of people will point to, right? Because historically, right, the, it's, it's been the ultimate big brother, little brother with, with New England and the Jets, where it was Tom Brady and Bill, Bill Belichick just kind of had their way with them for so many years. And, and the Patriots never took the Jets seriously. And Tom Brady never took the Jets seriously. It was almost like, the Patriots looked at the Jets on their schedule, and aside from a couple of blimps there with Rex Ryan, it was like, okay, well, those are two wins we can throw it by. So, obviously, Jet fans want to win this one because they want to feel the power start to shift from these guys have beat us up for so long. You know, the basically the bully becomes the bully, if you will. But there's a, a little extra storyline and a little extra mustard and a, and a little extra juice to this one, and it, it kind of goes back to when the Jets, and the Patriots played last year. You know, the, the Jets put a, the, the Patriots put a beating on the Jets and the Jets were banged up. The Jets were hurt. The Jets were clearly not nearly on, you know, a rebuilding team really in the very early stages of their rebuild. Patriots went up by like 30 points. And in the fourth quarter, they were still throwing go balls and go routes and sending guys deep, taking shots down the field to really rub it in the Jets faces. You know, the, the game was over. The Jets were a young team, developing team. And Bill Belichick and, and that Patriots roster took it upon themselves to not just beat New York, but embarrass New York. Mm-hmm. That was something that absolutely stuck with Robert Sala, Jeff Ulbrich, and Mike LaFleur after that game. I mean, I remember talking to some of those guys, and, and, and they said, we're going to remember. We're going to remember. And when the opportunity presents itself for us, when we finally turn this thing around, when we are the better team, we are going to remember this when we play that team again. You just saw the Patriots get their you-know-what's kicked on national television. They are not 
the same team that they have been. Their defense has issues. Their offense has issues. They have, who is it? I don't know if it's Joe Judge or Matt Patricia calling plays on the offensive <laughs> staff. I mean, they are not the Patriots that you and I knew growing up. They're not the Patriots that our dads knew growing up. Growing up. They are very much ripe for the picking, and I think that it is going to be a talk whether the Jets say it publicly or not. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and pregame on Sunday, they are going to re- these coaches are going to remind every single one of these players what happened last year and let them know that the opportunity to settle the score is this Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Yeah. Okay, two more Jets questions. One around uh, Elijah Vera Tucker and this Jets O-line, right? They lose Makai Becton early on in preseason, then they sign Dwayne Brown, and Tucker's a guy who's played uh, right guard and left tackle is versatile for them. What are you hearing about the Jets and how they feel with who they have uh, blocking up front? Well, the, the good news is reinforcements are coming, right? I mean, it, 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 we were just talking about replacing Brees Hall. You know, Elijah Vera Tucker, he, he was the Jets' best player on offense and defense. I mean, I think that anyone in that building would tell you that because of his versatility, because of how good he is on the football field. He just plays a position. That there's no statistics to show you how dominant he is. So to lose him, I mean, that's about as big of a blow as Hall is, if not maybe even more of a, of a big of a blow of Hall. I mean, he's been the one steady force in this offensive line, no matter where you put him. Left guard, right guard, right tackle, left tackle, did not matter. Wherever you put this guy, he was able to find success and, and, and stabilize the position that you throw him in. Uh, obviously, you just like we were talking about, you can't just replace Hall. Well, you can't just replace Barrett Tucker. But the one positive that the Jets do have is that while Max Mitchell and, and George Fant aren't ready to go yet, they will return this year. So these are two guys that, that are not season-ending injured reserve. These are two guys that are not completely on the shelf for the rest of the year. These players will be back. So right now it's kind of just hold the fort down until you get these two guys back in the lineup. And then hopefully you can go to work. A little bit. Look, Nate Herbig's kind of provided some really good play there at, at the uh, the right guard position. Lakin Tomlinson, obviously a Pro Bowl player. Dwayne Brown's back, and, and while he's still dealing with that shoulder, he's going to be pretty healthy. Connor McGovern, mainstay at center. You just need to get one of these two guys back and healthy, whether it's Fant or whether it's Mitchell. Put him there at right tackle and hopefully stabilize this unit. It's not going to be as good as with Vera Tucker, but at least you'll, you'll have something there uh, that you can work with. Okay, last question on the Jets with uh, Elijah Moore and his saga from yeah. being excused and requesting a trade and you know not traveling with the team, not playing, to supposedly being back with the team and ready to play. You know what? On that Brees Hall run, I tweeted this out. Those guys put a hat on the on a hat. There, those guys mm-hmm. eleven, Denzel Mims, uh, eighty four, Corey Davis, and even uh, twenty five, Michael Carter. You saw on that play, they all went and made those blocks. That made that happen. I felt like that was the most team play to show Elijah Moore, hey, man, it's not about your targets or your receptions. Go yeah. out there and do what we ask you to do, and we'll come back to you. And uh, now he'll be in the fold, and they need him. He's a playmaker. And uh, as Zach Wilson is looking for guys to make plays, do you think he's on the field, or you think they're going to you know, have him active, but stick with Denzel Mims, another guy who was requesting a trade months ago in preseason? I, I think he's just too good to keep off the field. I mean, he really is. He's just, he's so, so talented. And that's why the Jets aren't willing to trade him. I mean, you know, after that trade request came out, I, I talked to a number of people in the front office, a number of people on the, on the coaching staff. And we're like, wow, you guys are really going to move him? And the resounding answer I got from everybody is hell no. Like the, the guy is, the guy's a 20 something year old dynamic football player. Why would we get rid of him? We are going to exhaust all possible means to make this work. And I think what's, weird about the whole Elijah Moore situation is that this guy 
hasn't ever been known as a diva receiver. You know what I mean? Like when you had guys out there like Terrell Owens sometimes causing problems or, or Randy Moss, or, you know, at, at different points in his career causing problems, you know, those guys had a reputation as the give me the ball. You know, even Keyshawn Johnson, you know, throw me the damn ball book that he came out with. Like you had these guys that had that personality of I want it, I want it, I want it. It doesn't really matter anything else. I'm so good. Give me the ball, that kind of thing. That's so not Elijah Moore. I mean, I've talked to him a number of times his rookie year. I talked to him a number of times in the locker room. What has happened with him is so uncharacteristic. I mean, especially when he blew up on Michael Floor before the practice on Thursday. I mean, that's not him. Like, it's just not who he is as a person. So the Jets are going to do everything they can, exhaust all means to try to stop whatever this little outburst is and get Elijah Moore back to being the Elijah Moore that his family knows he is, everyone who has coached him previously knows he is and who the Jets thought he was after the first full season. Now, I don't think that means they're going to force him the ball, but I think they just need to do a better job of helping him realize how important he is to this team. Because I wonder if, and again, we haven't talked to Elijah, so we haven't really had the opportunity yet to speak to him since all this went down, but I wonder if a lot of his problems is if he just figured, you know, saw Brees Hall get going, Corey Davis, everyone's talking about Garrett Wilson, everyone wanting Denzel Mims, even the tight ends getting involved that. And he felt kind of like the afterthought, you know, and, yeah. and the forgotten kid, if you will. And, and they just need to remind him again just how important he is because he is so, so, so immensely talented. And the Jets are absolutely a better offense with him on the field than off it. Yeah, team first. And uh, I'll tell you firsthand, all receivers are divas. I play quarterback yeah. and receiver. Playing quarterback, every receiver is coming to the huddle. I'm open, bro. I'm open, bro. This guy can't yeah. check me. And then playing receiver, you're coming back to the huddle. I'm open, bro. I'm open, bro. Get me the <laughs> ball. It's just, it's just how it is in football. And for Elijah Moore having a big rookie year, he probably had big expectations for himself in his second year. Uh, that doesn't matter as long as the Jets are winning. Let's transition now. Talking about receivers. Um, on the other side, Kadarius Toney. Yeah, Kenny Galladay, the New York football giants. Now, you know, I think they're still going to be without those guys. But then you add the injuries to Daniel Bellinger and Evan Neal. Like, this is just the part of the season where all teams are hurt, losing guys, trade deadlines approaching. People are making trades to try and fill in. Um, but I think the Gi- the Giants this year are really embodying the next man up culture mm-hmm. and even the culture of, like, it doesn't matter if you, you know the name on the back of the jersey. These guys are playing as a team. They're representing New York and the New York Giants. Uh, what, what's their outlook going into this week uh, facing Seattle? And, you know, now they're down a couple guys that they've relied on. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's it's funny because – the Giants are the team that you could absolutely see want to make a move at the deadline, want to, you know, in terms of they have these holes that they want to fill. They could use another corner, absolutely. They could use two or three receivers, right? And there's Odell Beckham out there who, who you think, oh, they want to sign him as a free agent, or maybe they want to try to make a trade for DJ Moore or make a trade for Denzel Mims or, or do something like that. But the the what's so fascinating about the fact that the Giants are winning is that no one. I don't even think there were people within their own building that foresaw this coming because of just the mess that they were handled from the way that Dave Gettleman just drove this franchise into the ground during his run as general manager. I mean, they are saddled with horrendous contracts. They are saddled with uh, contracts of players that they're paying that are no longer here. They have players that were drafted that just didn't pan out that they still have. And, and you'd love to replace these guys, right? But they don't have the money to do so. I think it's something like you look at their salary cap situation and I don't have the the numbers right in front of me, but they don't have the money to go sign anybody. They don't have the money to trade and acquire somebody because they can't pay that player's base salary. So they're kind of stuck here 
in this situation where they just kind of have to make it work with what they have. And amazingly, that's exactly what they've been doing through these seven weeks. I mean, the, the Giants are 6-1. and one. Like, dude, I was there, I don't even know how many days in training camp. I covered the Jets eight years of my career. I know bad football when I see one. That was a bad football team over the summer. Dude, it was bad. It was bad on offense. It was bad on defense. And then this game, these games start. And you have to give so much credit to Brian Dable and his staff because they are just finding a way to make it work. This team treads water. They take the punches. They just keep it, even if it's ugly. They win ugly, but they keep things close no matter how ugly it looks until the fourth quarter, and then they do enough to win the game. And they've been able to do that six times, and you can't discredit any of their victories anymore. You want to chalk it up like, oh, they beat the Bears. Bears aren't good. I agree. Oh, they beat you know the Panthers. Panthers aren't good. I agree. But they also beat the Ravens. They also beat the Titans. Those two teams are pretty damn good right now. So the fact that they are so under-talented and it's such a talent disadvantage from their competition week in and week out, yet despite that, they are still finding ways to win games. I think, look, I don't know how far this is going to go. I think the playoffs are absolutely going to happen for this team. I don't know how far they go in the playoffs. But if you want to look to future and a sign that the Giants are in the right direction – I think Joe Shane absolutely is the right guy, a general manager. And Brian Dable, I mean, he's, he's the front runner right now for coach of the year with what he's doing. So uh, you'd love to add to this team and, and bolster kind of like the Jets just did with James Robinson. But unfortunately for the Giants, they need their draft picks to round out the roster and, and fill some holes going forward. And they also don't really have the money to add anyone right now, anyone of note, I should say. Yeah, but, I mean, like you just gave props to Shane and Dable. They're going to be on those phones. They're going to be trying to make something happen. They realize that – you know, they've got a 6-1 and team that they weren't expecting to have, and they've got a shot in their first year to go to the playoffs. you got to maximize your opportunities, and they have guys on this team. Like, imagine if they were able to somehow trade Kadarius, Tony. Kenny Galladay yeah. is tough with his contract, but, uh, you know, they they, they got to be on the phones trying to make something happen, I, I assume. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I go back and forth on the Tony decision because, like, right now, I mean, it would be pennies on the dollar. You know, moving him is going to be pennies on the dollar because right. he's injury prone. Obviously, he has kind of the, the the stigma of does he really care, that kind of a thing. So uh, I almost wonder if it's better just to get that kid healthy, get him on the field, and then let him just so, show something where you're not getting a conditional five or six or something like that. Let him show something these final few weeks. Maybe make some plays in the playoffs. And then if he's not part of your long-term plans, Maybe you can flip them for a three or a four instead of a five or a six, you know, in, in the offseason. Like, I got to back and forth on that. Because so, he does have talent. It's not like it's not like Kenny Galladay who just can't run anymore. I mean, Tony does have legitimate talent. Yeah, it's his second year in the league. He was a first-round draft pick. I, I mean, I was really thinking that he was going to do something for the Giants this year. But whatever. They're they're getting the most out of guys like Wandale Robinson now and uh, Darius Slayton and Richie James. I'm still waiting for David Sills to have a big game. But you know what? None of that matters when you have – the best rushing quarterback in the NFL, better than Lamar Jackson, better than Jalen Hurts, better than Kyler Murray, better than Josh Allen. Daniel Jones is toting the rock. <laughs> what do you think yeah. about how successful he's been on the ground, him and Saquon together? Like, that is a great rush, rushing attack to the point where they don't need to lead, lead the league yeah. in passing. They're going to kill you on the ground. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I, I don't know if. I don't know if Daniel Jones is ever going to be Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, a top five, a top ten quarterback in the NFL. I don't know if he can ever reach that that level. But I think what he has shown this year is that if he is given quality surrounding talent and, and he continues to have competent coaching for really the first time in his career, right? Because who do you have? It was 
You know, Jason Garrett, I know for a chunk of time was his offensive coordinator. Freddie Pat, Kitchens, Pat Sher- Ben yeah, McAdoo, Pat yeah, Shermer. Pat Shermer, Joe yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's not it's not exactly, you know, the the Sean McVay coaching tree over there for uh for, for Daniel Jones to like I think it was the Giants who came out and said that basically they've done everything they can to fail this kid and, yeah. and that's basically what's happened. So I think what he's shown this year is that well, I don't know if he's ever gonna be top five, top ten. He's absolutely a quarterback you can win with, and he's absolutely a quarterback that can put the team on his back. And he's he's so tough, and he's, his teammates absolutely love him. He's got the respect of everyone in that locker room, and they're just rallying around him. And, you know, it's kind of like this island of misfit toys, and they've all banded together. Now, the question the Giants are going to have to, to – or the decision the Giants are going to have to make is what to do with Daniel Jones after this year. I personally think they'll probably try to hit him with the franchise tag, maybe a short two-year extension, but – if he doesn't take that two-year extension, the franchise tag makes a lot of sense. Just be one more year. You know, get one more year of Daniel Jones, fill out the roster a little bit more, get him some better playmakers, get him some better receivers. See if he can replicate this year, next year as well. Because if he can do that, I think he's absolutely worth worth a, a legitimate long-term contract extension because you've shown right now that you can win with Daniel Jones. He's erased basically so many of the, the concerns that he had early in his career, right? The interceptions, they're down. The fumbles, they're down. Uh, he's taking care of his body as well with still running the ball, but also sliding, getting down, and not taking those extra hits. He's effective as a passer. He's dynamite, obviously, as a runner. I think he'd be better as a passer if he actually had some freaking weapons, right? You give him the weapons that Zach Wilson's working with, and I think this Giants offense could really explode. So uh, he's one of those people who, Daniel Jones, who before this season, man, I, I wrote him off, you know what I mean? And and I was like, oh, you know, he's it's basically just a lame duck quarterback. He's going to finish out this year, go as a free agent, be a backup somewhere. The Giants will draft someone. No, he has played himself not only into a, a contract, but into the discussion of is this guy a franchise quarterback? He's having a hell of a year. Yeah, he's he's not turning the ball over like he did in the past. He tried last Sunday, got called back, yeah. I believe. <laughs> and yeah. he's 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 staying on the field. He was hurt early on, right? Or like maybe three weeks ago with an ankle, but he's played through it. He's been yeah. tough. Okay, last question for you. You know, I, I always look at Geno Smith as yeah. the guy that they benched Eli for. They broke Eli's starting streak for Geno Smith back then, and I thought that was foolish, and he was not the Geno Smith that we're seeing now. Geno has been accurate. That offense is coming alive now with Seattle. I look at this game as a game that the Giants could potentially lose, but I'm not going to count them out because of what we've seen week to week, right? They have enough film, and their coaches keep them in every game with their play calling and their decision-making but going out there to Seattle this weekend against the 12th man and against a team that just went to L.A. and beat the Chargers and Geno Smith versus his former team wanting to show you know them and all of New York who he is now, how are you feeling about the Giants' chances of going into Seattle and knocking down the Seahawks? Yeah, the the two games on their schedule, you know, they they got to 5-1, and one and it was like, oh, my God, look at, look at who's coming up. They could get to 9-1, right? I mean, I think the two potential hook uh, – um, hiccups that I that I could see on their schedule were these these last two weeks was the Jaguars game I had some concerns with because I I think Doug Peterson's a good coach I think Trevor Lawrence is just waiting to break out there's some legitimate legitimate talent on that Jaguars roster where they're much more talented than their record indicates they're kind of actually the, the reverse of the of the Giants if you will so that was one that I had a little bit of concerns with and then this one as well going east coast west coast San uh, uh Seattle's a hot team Juno Smith playing out of his mind. Another team that a lot of people wrote off that has suddenly started to play some some really good football as of late. So 
This is one that I do have some concerns with, but I will say that that Seattle offense is going to be significantly, significantly, significantly different without DK Metcalf. That guy is an absolute animal. He is a monster. He is a matchup nightmare in in so many different ways. One of those guys where you have to keep someone over top of him, which means you can't put that extra guy in the box. So it allows them to run the ball. It allows them to pass Lockett, obviously a good receiver as well. Um, they're going to look a little different with, with Metcalf dealing with what he's dealing with right now. So uh, I think it's going to be a good game, and it's going to be a challenging game. I can see the Giants having this this one kind of stop the losing streak but I'll, or start the losing streak or stop the winning streak, if you will. Uh, but honestly, dude, I've been kind of saying that for seven weeks now. Every, every single game I've gone in, I've been like, oh, this is going to be the one the Giants lose. This is going to be the one the Giants lose. This has to be the one the Giants lose. And this team just keeps on winning, man. So they, they've kind of developed this reputation now as one that's just they're feisty, they're fiery, uh, and, and you just you can never rule them out. You really can't because they are so incredibly well coached. They believe in each other, and they're going to come at you for four full quarters. And if you're not willing to match them for four full quarters, they're going to pull it out in the end. Yeah, it's all about the Giants' defense, in my opinion, being able to stop yeah. Kenneth Walker in that run game, and then they got to pressure Geno and make him uncomfortable. And I think they'll be able to score enough points to stay with him. I'm interested in that game. I think it's going to be a good one. Like all of these other Giants wins, it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. Hey, appreciate you coming on, Connor. Good talking to you. Uh, go Hawks, and I'm sure we'll be connecting again there soon. There we go, man. Absolutely, man. Fly Hawks. Let's go, baby. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Connor Hughes on WFAN. He's on SNY. You guys have probably seen him covering the Jets and the Giants. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.